My name is Miguel. I'm an intern here at the church. If you are new uh, this morning, I welcome you. And uh, thank you, choir, for singing. Thank you, church. Um, I wanted to take advantage of this time to thank you for the care and the love that you've shown me and Leslie and my family. Uh, since the very beginning, since we found out about the condition of our baby, uh, we had a very good visit uh, last um, couple Tuesdays ago at CHOP, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We're encouraged to know more about the hospital. We're encouraged to uh, get to know the team and see who will be taking care of, of Leslie and Gabriella, the name of our girl. And uh, I want to encourage you also to, uh, if you would like to continue to follow with the updates, um, I want to direct your attention to caringbridge.org. We're going to try to um, not repeat ourselves in a bunch of different places. Uh, we're going to try to mainly put them there, karenbridge.org. Also, I want to uh, mention uh, that uh, Leslie, where's Leslie? It was mainly Leslie's thing to have a, uh, a, a, a time of praise on November 8th. Uh, so we're going to be meeting here at the church. That's a Friday night. And we're going to do a concert in honor of, of our baby. And uh, we're going to try to praise God for his goodness and for his care. And we're going to give testimonies about the journey that we've had so far uh, through this whole trial. So we encourage you to come out that night. I think you will be encouraged, and, uh, whether you're a believer or not. Um, so I encourage you to do that. Um, having said all of that, let me transition to, uh, to the book of Malachi. Um, the first oracle that you guys covered last week with Pastor Thurman contain words of affirmation and love. And the oracle starts with, I have loved you, in verse 2. And uh, this was the way that the prophet began to, to speak to the post-exilic Israelites of that time. However, the oracle that we're covering this week does not have those words of affirmation and love. This is my first time preaching from the minor prophets, and I'm not very knowledgeable or very experienced when it comes to this type of um, genre or uh, genre of scripture. Nevertheless, as I poured hours into study uh, this last week, I did come to one conclusion that I'm pretty confident about. The main concern that the prophets had during the 300 years that they were ministering to Israel had to do with rebuking the people for their unfaithfulness to the covenant and pointing them back to God and to keeping of the law. I can say that confidently. Uh, through the study that we had. And, and we can see this at the end of, of the book, Malachi 4.4. And I think you, you should see a slide for it where it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Homiletically, or by way of discourse, this means that in order for me to be faithful to the message of the prophets, I need to be willing to confront the corruption that is found amongst the saints of my time because that is what the prophets were doing during their time. Practically, this is a difficult task. And this is a task that is, I'm filled with conviction about it because in the words of another prophet, I myself am a man of unclean lips and I'm a sheep that is prone to wander away like all of us have. So I want to plead with you this morning before we get started to say with the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Beloved, I want to encourage you to ponder the depths of your sin 
and to to not make light of it because God doesn't do that. The temptation this morning will be to say, well, I'm not as bad as this person or that person. Or, oh, well, those were priests in the Old Testament. I'm in the New Testament, so I'm under grace. Or, oh, but, you know, I haven't committed any major sins, so corruption might be too hard of a word for me. Well, let me remind you that Jesus did not die for minor sins. Jesus took the wrath of the Father because in himself was your corruption. All of it. I've titled the sermon this morning, The Great Name of a Disrespected God. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we look at the passage. Malachi 1, verses 6 through 14. The word of God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. You can have a seat. Pastor Thurman last week made reference to some of the elements that make the book of Malachi unique or special in the canon of scriptures. And for me particularly, I think it's important uh, to explain to you the structure of the book because in doing so, you will be able to follow the book better and you'll be able to follow the notes that I've given you in the back of your bulletins a little bit better as well. Uh, This type of of genre belongs to uh, the prophetic books. And within the prophetic books, you may find different types of, uh, of literature such as dialogue and disputation or lawsuit uh, or another name similar to that nature. And listen to what Walter Kaiser, an Old Testament co- scholar, says concerning this type of literature. He says, the parts of this lawsuit are as follows, an appeal to the jury to listen closely, two, the questioning of the witnesses and statement of the accusation, three, the prosecution's address to the court, usually contrasting God's salvific acts of grace with his people's sin, 
and four, a call to turn back and to obey God. This form reflects in large part many of the features of an international treaty form of that day. In other words, through this type of literature, you will find, and you might remember from just reading the passage a second ago, an, an accusation or a charge from God. Then you will find a disagreement or um, backtalking from the ones that are being accused. And then lastly, you will find a response in which God gets to have the final word on the matter. Having said that, let's take a look at the first point, the charge, the charge. This is found in verse 6. And who is the one that brings the charge? Well, the Lord does. It says in verse 6a at the beginning, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, the Lord is the people accusing the people here. And this is, this seems like it, it was, it was, extremely uh, clear to the people because God seemed to have taken the extra mile to make sure that they understood this. Malachi is composed of 53 verses and in 47 of those, uh, you find the first person making this picture of a vivid encounter between God and the post-exilic Israelites. Not only that, in addition to this, we can consider the fact that the book of Malachi and particularly this oracle that we're looking at has a title that God chooses uh, uh, to have in this particular conversation between him and the people listening. Yahweh Sabiath, translated as the Lord of hosts in the ESV and translated as Lord Almighty in other English translations. This title appears seven times uh, in this oracle alone. That means almost once per verse with the exception of verse nine. And this title needed to be here by those who were uh, listening to this oracle since in a period of time in which the people were ruled by a pagan and a foreign emperor, they needed to understand that the charge was coming from the commander of the Lord's armies, uh, the commander of the, of the cosmic powers, the head of the divine council. This was the guy charging them with something. And what was this charge? Well, let's, go back at our, let's look back at our passage. Where is my honor and fear? Where is my honor and fear? The Lord of the heavenly armies had decided to personally interact with Israel as a caring father. Nevertheless, uh, the nation of Israel had uh, built a reputation of being a bad son. Okay, and the prophets talk about this. Hosea, in Hosea 11, refers to Israel as an ungrateful son. Isaiah refers to Israel as rebellions, rebellious sons. And Malachi now is referring to Israel as a dishonoring and irreverent son. Where is my honor? In a similar sense, the question is asked, if I'm a master, where is my fear? And without getting into uh, too much detail concerning the master-slave relationships in the Old Testament, we can just get the point that fear and honor need to be treated synonymously. The point is God is not getting his glory. He's not getting the glory that he deserves. So the father and master of Israel accuses the nation of being dishonorable and irreverent towards the Lord of hosts. The most ironic part though of this whole thing is that this charge is being directed 
towards a particular group of people who should know better. After all, these are the people trying to minister to God at the temple. This leads us to a second point, the objection from the accused. Who were these? The priests. Verse 6b, to you, O priests, who despise my name. This accusation is to them. The verb despise here is a participle in the Hebrew, which means that it can be translated as despisers of my name. A despising priest is an oxymoron. There were an oxymoron in their time, um, since they were the ones that were supposed to carry out the, the duties in the sacrificial system. And it's alike to speaking of a, an honest thief or a wise fool. These seemingly contradictory terms are meant to emphasize the ironic and nonsensical nature of what we're talking about. One of the reasons why Pastor Thurman thought it would be appropriate for me to preach this morning is because, as you know, I'm one of the people um, that's supposed to oversee the music ministry of the church, one of the people in charge of giving direction there. And in many evangelical contexts, music a lot of times is wrongly labeled as our worship time. And the lead singers are referred to as worship leaders or worship pastors. As if giving offerings or partaking in the Lord's table or listening to God's word is not worship, right? Although we're not speaking of priests who function under, although we're speaking of priests who function under a different covenant, I was, I was under a lot of conviction this last week when I was studying this passage because the New Testament is very clear in calling all New Testament Christians priests, right? There's this biblical doctrine called the priesthood of all believers. And it's a doctrine that has separated Protestants and Catholics for the last 400 years. We teach Protestants that we ourselves can confidently draw near to what? To the throne of grace to find mercy, as it says in Hebrews 4. We teach that there's one mediator between man and God, and that is not Mary. That is Jesus, like Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So as priests, it would be wise of us to listen to these Old Testament rebukes because we too are find, found in a context in which Christianity in this country is permeated and polluted with a lot of dishonor and is filled with a lot of irreverence towards God. What was their objection? What was the objection of these priests? We find that at the end of verse 6. They plead ignorance. How have we despised your name? And they're going to wish they hadn't asked that. That leads us to the third point. The evidence and the verdict. This is found in verses 7 through 14. And through these verses, the Lord of hosts prosecutes his disobedient and dishonoring son Israel. And he lays out a series of evidences to show them that they are unquestionably guilty before him. We can divide these categories of evidences into two, into two of them. The first category is external in nature. Wrong actions in worship. Wrong actions in worship. This is found in verse 7 and 8. 
by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have, you polluted, how have we polluted, polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer bland sacrifices, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? These priests were offering inadequate sacrifices and, and in all reality, that's not a very good word. It's a very soft word because they were going directly against what the law had established for them to do. This is some of the things that the law said concerning um, sacrifices. Leviticus 22. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation. They will not be accepted for you. Does that sound familiar? God asks, is this not evil for you to offer such sacrifices? Is it not evil for you to contradict the verdict that I've made concerning what's acceptable and what is not acceptable in my sight? And Malachi is filled with these rhetorical questions all over the place. And and, and I mean, who? Who would dare to contradict the righteous judge of the universe? The one who made standards. The the, the one who has said what is right and what is wrong. Then the God of the covenant continues to build an argument from the lesser to the greater as he talks in in verse 8. Present that, those blind sacrifices and lame sacrifices and sick sacrifices, present those to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? You know, Old Testament scholars comment that the Hebrew term translated governor in this verse indicates that they were under Persian rule. They were under Persian rule. And Rolf Smith, a, uh, from the Word of Biblical Commentary, makes the following statement concerning uh, these governor. The use of the word here in Malachi makes it clear that the province of Samaria and or Judea was being ruled by a governor appointed by the great king of Persia. The governor might have been a Jew or a Samaritan, but his authority came from Persia. This entire pericope deals with the proper attitude or response to authority. Son to father, servant to lord, vassal to governor. And Malachi accuses the priests with having more fear, respect, and honor for the governor than they have for Yahweh. In fact, God was so unhappy about this that he says, that he, he portrays himself as wishing that there was a, a priest who had the backbone to just go in the temple grounds and close the doors so that they wouldn't waste his time. You see that in verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Rejection. Rejection. I am not a governor. I'm not merely a Persian emperor. I'm the commander of the heavenly hosts. I am the commander of the cosmic powers. I am the Lord of hosts and I will not accept your offerings. These are scary words. These are scary words to hear. So let me pause here, church. What kind of sacrifices are you offering to the Lord? 
Are you giving him the leftovers? Are you giving him what's undesirable in your life? Or let me go even further. Are you even bothering to serve? Because if you call yourself a Christian, you are a priest, and it is commanded of you to give your life, what? A living sacrifice, as it says in Romans 12.1. And guess what? That's a reasonable, that's a reasonable thing. So the first set of evidences that God is laying before the nation are external in nature, wrong actions in worship. And the second one is like it, wrong attitudes in worship. It says in verse 12, but you profane it, talking about his name, when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. And they're treating God with contempt. I mean, it wasn't enough for the priest to go directly against the clear, established guidelines for the sacrifices. In the process, they were complaining about it as well. They were saying, what a pain. I have to be at the temple again. How annoying. I have to deal with these filthy animals and the smell of blood and the, the heat of the flame. I'd rather be at home watching football. I'd rather be in my room surfing the internet. I'd rather be fill in the blank. You know, it's really easy to point to someone else's sin, especially if they've been dead for over 3,000 years. But let's think about us today. Let's think about us in the here and now. Uh, consider the words of Ian Duguid from the Reform Expository Commentary. He says the following, just as with the people of Malachi's day, our worship and our lifestyle decisions daily reveal the reality that we too have an improper view of God. Instead of seeing him as our father and as our master, and our, our sovereign, we often live as though worshiping and serving God were actually a great nuisance. Something that gets in the way of our attempts to live life to the fullest. Now, isn't that true? Now, does that describe you this morning? I'm going to be honest with you. That describes me some days. And I am completely confident that God has called me to full-time ministry. In fact, if someone came in here and held me at gunpoint and asked me, choose between music, maintenance, and preaching, I would tell them, give me a Bible on my laptop, and I'll happily write sermons for the rest of my life. But it's not like that all the time. Some days... The sins of people are very big. Some days, the war against Satan is tiring. And some days, temptation just seems unsurmountable. So I take my eyes off of Jesus. And, and serving him becomes drudgery instead of a delight. Malachi continues at the end of verse 13. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices it to the Lord. Uh, what is blemished? God's curse. God's curse. God was rejecting the sacrifices 
And then he was cursing those who thought that they could hide the intentions of their heart from the one who sees all. From the one that sees the innermost parts of our beings. <clears throat> In times of trouble, people would vow a perfect male animal. And when their answers were, when their prayers were answered, and it was time for them to fulfill their vow, then they would just bring a less valuable animal. A blind animal or a sick animal or an animal with some kind of defect. And they were bringing upon themselves God's curse. That's what this passage says. You might have noticed that I skipped portions of, of this uh, oracle, and I did this intentionally because I wanted to close with this. Remember, I, I named this, this message the great name of a disrespected God. Look at verse 11 with me. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then look at the end of verse 14. I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. You know, God's glory <clears throat> cannot be quenched by the sins of his people. God's rule cannot be undermined by our disobedience. And God's fear will not be diminished by our irreverence. He will be and is exalted among the nations. However, I would not advise you to follow in the steps of these priests, lest you bring upon yourself God's rejection and curse on your life. Now, you may be saying this morning, Miguel, I don't want to be like these priests. I want to serve God and follow him wholeheartedly. To which I would say, you can't. However, there is one who followed God's law perfectly. And this one um, took, on, took on the curse that you deserved on himself when he hung on the cross. And in him, you can So here's two short challenges uh, to the people found here this morning. Believer, do not take your eyes off of Jesus and follow his example. Unbeliever, friend, visitor, you may too escape the rejection and curse of God if you believe in him and turn from your sin. So will you trust him this morning? Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your mercy most of all. A mercy that we do not deserve. Uh, thank you for your patience. Right now we want to ask you to help us to, to think and consider and meditate upon uh, those who have come before us and who have not acted in a proper way towards you help us to learn from their mistakes help us to turn from our ways help us to not belittle our sin help us to be like Jesus thank you again for, for his sacrifice and for the curse that he took on our behalf and we ask Father that you help us to be priests that do bring glory to your name the way that you deserve it 
bless the, the remaining of the time that we have together, Father, and we pray all this in your name.